Hello, Will Lewis here. Before we start today's Punch and Roll podcast, we have a special treat for you. Callan Dorval is here to tell us all about it. Hi, Callan. How are you? Hi, Will. I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Doing great. Thanks. Tell us about this voice exercise you're going to do for our listeners. Okay, before we start with this challenge, let's just get a little warm-up in. I want you to point your chin all the way up to the ceiling, and then chin way down into your chest. Turn your head to look all the way over your right shoulder, and back again to look all the way over the left shoulder. Couple shoulder rolls, some forward, and backwards. And let's do a tongue twister for fun. Try this one. 77 benevolent elephants. 77 benevolent elephants. 77 benevolent... It's harder than it seems. So for this voice challenge, I want to talk to you a little bit about lisps. Now, you probably all know about Sylvester's lisp, Thufferin' Thuckatash. That one's the interdental lisp, where your tongue is in between your teeth when you say your S sound as th. A lisp can be a pretty fun way to add some extra flair to a character, but make sure that the words that you're saying are still able to be understood. That lisp is pretty easy, but how about the lateral lisp? A lot of people have trouble replicating this one. Imagine that your tongue is too wide to fit into your mouth. Instead of your tongue poking out between your teeth at the front of your mouth, it's going to be poking out on the sides. So when you talk, it's going to kind of sound like this. It kind of makes it so that your tongue doesn't really do too much. It doesn't come out forward in your mouth very often. It just stays in the sides. Again, you just want to be careful that all the words that you're saying, the content of the message is still being understood, and that you're not getting too many mouth noises picked up by the microphone. When practicing this lisp, try my favorite line. I cast magic missile! Now using those lisps, let's go back to our tongue twister and give it a try. First with the interdental lisp. 77 benevolent elephants. And with the lateral lisp. 77 benevolent elephants. Try it out. Add it on to different types of voices. See what you can come up with. Do you have a really cool character with a lisp? I want to hear it. Or maybe there's a type of characteristic you've always wanted to try, but not quite getting it. Send me an email and we'll see what we can do. You can email me at voice.challenge at audiblescripts.com. Just keep practicing. And remember, have fun with it. That was great, Callan. Thanks. I'm really looking forward to the next challenge and seeing what requests we get from our listeners. Until then, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Original music by Ben Sullivan. Available on iTunes. Hello, listeners. Welcome to our second installment of the Punch and Roll podcast. I'm Will Lewis, here with your co-host, uh, Roland Wiley and Katie Lee. And we had such a terrific discussion going uh, the other day. I'd like to say hi, uh, Roland and Katie. Hi, Roland and Katie. <laughs> hi, Katie and Roland. <laughs> what, what, what I'd like to do, uh, we were talking, we left off last time talking about the theater of the mind and how uh, voice entertainment is uh, allows the listener to actually come up with, with a lot of their own constructs for, 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 for what they're hearing and, and their own images. And so I wanted to, you know, continue that discussion because I think it's pretty fascinating. So maybe we can just pick up there. Yeah, it's, 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 and only people who really appreciate it appreciate what you're saying. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> so hopefully that's who's listening to this podcast. You know, I, I crack myself up sometimes because I remember one session. It, it was an Adventures in Odyssey session, I think. And Fred Tatashore, who's known for, who I think oh, he works on Family Guy and some other everywhere. big stuff. <laughs> A really, really nice guy. Well, he had to sound like he was throwing up, oh. and and it was so brilliant. <laughs> I I watched him like, oh, I have to learn how to do that. What he did was just amazing. I'm like, wow, who thinks of this stuff? This is great. He just did the best barf I had ever heard, and um, you know that's the kind of stuff that gets me excited, as you can tell. Um, oh yeah, how did he do it? Did he have to? It was, it was kind of. You want me to describe it and try yeah. to imitate it? I don't. Well, uh, if you I, want, I, I, I'm I was, just curious as to what yeah. technique he used. I'm like, was well, it? Now we're getting technical of, in terms of the vomit. Is it? His wet? body <laughs> looked like he was gonna heave. He had that physicality, and then he made these sounds and took his fingers and and like like on his lips, so it was kind of like. <gasps> <gasps> Oh, nice. that, does that sound good on your end? You got it yeah. on my shirt, Katie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll be back. I got to change. Like, you know, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I guess it's sort of like being a tomboy when you're into <laughs> weird sounds like that. But, but that's the fun I stuff you like, can do, I was though. So, I was like, whoa, whoa. And, of course, I worked with Frank Welker. I sat next to him for probably a total of... I don't know, 12, 11 years. Now you have to explain explain who Frank Welker is for those people that don't know who that is. Frank Welker is, I would almost say he's the Mel Blanc of our generation, except mm -hmm. that he's beyond that because Frank does sound effects with his mouth and he is a master of animal noises yeah um frank will just study and on his own and this is an important point you know this is a craft and people who are really good at it are good at it what they do because they practice yeah and they take it very seriously it's a strange thing to practice sounding like a cat <laughs> you know, but in Frank's case, it really pays off. Mm -hmm. um, Frank, well, I did the voice of the Maharaja in Temple of Doom in the original Indiana Jones. Frank created all the sounds for the snake pit Whoa. and the monkeys. And um, he has that amazing talent. And he's just hysterical. Um, and Frank, this is one of the things, Frank, he would just, he just always making noise. I mean, we're the kind of people who would get in trouble in school for wiggling in our chairs and making noise and disturbing other people. And now we have, we get, we get to get paid for it. Or as, um, um, uh, oh gosh, Wally Wingert says he had, when he grew up, he had all these voices in his head. And when he got older, he got them all jobs. There you go. Because, because that's the thing. So, it's like you think of guys like Frank Welker. I mean, for me growing up, that when when I got older and was more aware, I knew who Frank Welker was, and I was just wow, mm -hmm. he knows how to do all that. And then of course you have guys like Michael Winslow, who was kind of a motivation to me 
in terms of doing all those mechanical sounds. And just, oh wow, that's it, great! See, I don't, I don't know who Michael Winslow is, but that's the kind of stuff Frank does too. I mean, there isn't yeah. hardly anything Frank can't do, yeah. and that's great. Yeah, those those guys, I'm in awe of because I'm sitting there. I'm like, I I would like to sit there and just watch them do it just to get it down better. Is that the guy from uh, Police Academy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but that's great, Roland. You're, yeah. The only, I would always say to Frank, "Oh, Frank, you can do everything, but you can't do me. You can't sound like me." So too bad. Uh. For you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know what? If I had his repertoire, I wouldn't need to do me either. So. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so what was my point about Frank sitting next to Frank? <laughs> I forget. What were we saying about that? That watching him. Oh goodness! You went from Fred. I don't know. You went from Fred to Frank. Hmm. I can't. Think oh of yeah. It. I don't know. But anyway, to... I was lucky. But that's when I had to take up knitting, for, so I wouldn't talk to him and get in trouble. <laughs> I could sit next to him all the time. It was like really hard not to want to talk to him. Because voiceover actors, they just want to talk, whether there's a script in front of them or not. Oh yeah, and I mean it, and it tends to go off the rails. I mean, mm-hmm. if there's a script, yeah, you'll get the script, but you will get the script plus a lot of B-sides that you're probably not asking for. But that's usually where you find the best stuff. Because <laughs> I've, I've done that in some auditions where I was doing something and then the director and I started talking and I just started ad-libbing. I said, mm-hmm. I want to use those. Okay. <laughs> so, so, Roland, what kinds of stuff have you worked on in L.A. as a new voiceover actor and working at a radio station, which is tough because you have a schedule you have to keep. How do you manage to do these other things? It's all after hours. And it's, I mean, because I work a nine to five job. And then after hours or during my lunch breaks, I fit them in as best as I can. And especially because if they need production, I need to produce them in a quick time. So I make sure that I I keep the raw and I produce it on the fly because that's the thing as a voiceover talent that is important. I learned that from one of, I'd say one of the best that I know personally, and that's Bob Holliday. And he taught me that. He said it's about being a voiceover talent is two things. It's one, you're having the voice, but two, if you're a producer, it's producing it and getting it back to them in a timely manner. That also is a very useful and helpful thing. And because of him teaching me that, I took that into my tool belt as well. And that's how I do it. I either do it from here at work or I'm able to do it at home. Sometimes I do all the recording at work and then I produce it at home because I, I want to be home with my family, of course. And mm-hmm. I don't want to be out away from them, so I do it that so way. So producing what exactly, for example? Uh, let's see. There's, I've produced things for Family Life today, and they call me because they like my sunny disposition because when there's a holiday time, they know that I'm the most sensitive person that they can talk to. Oh, and, that's great. I did something for Family Life. Yeah. Uh, like like they used to have like a dial dialogue between people in right. some radio in interstitial things. Mm-hmm. I don't know who hired me. I don't think it was you, Roland. No, I, I no. If I had hired you, I would have probably been maybe six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but recently, I've picked that up. That was I would say in my first year, someone had connected me to them because they liked my 
They liked my voice and how I delivered, which brings up another point about your voice. I thought my voice was very plain or very common, and I was uh-huh. trying to get more of the trailer voice, like the Don LaFontaine voice or the Phil Hartman voice. And then someone just brought it down to me and said, you know what? There are people for that, and that's great. You don't have to be that. You can add that to your repertoire, and that's fine, but that's not. But we like you for what your voice has. That's exactly what I was trying to describe with Chuck Bloor because I kept thinking, well, I'm not an actor, so mm-hmm. what do you want me to sound like? Right. And it took years for me to grasp that he just liked my voice the mm-hmm. way it was because I thought, well, I sound to you. And then I thought, oh, they're, they're making fun of me because I sound funny. And then I had to get over that. And, you know, like, why do they want just my voice? They don't, you know, when you're a person used to producing something for somebody, you know, it's like weird to just be yourself. Yeah. Um, and, but that's, uh, that uh, sometimes that takes some getting used to and, and it's kind of good because you can, it helps you hopefully appreciate that you have something to offer. You don't have to pretend to be somebody else to do what you do well. Yeah. Um, you know that was a that was a tricky thing for me to get used to that, and then to go in this. Can you imagine this role? And it's maybe this is the way it is for you with family life. But here's this big commercial producer, and we go in the studio, and he'd have the scripts with our names actually in them. The people mm-hmm. who are doing the spot. It wasn't like Woman One or Woman Two. It's right. like Katie. Yeah. Kathy. Josh. Like wow. Yeah. What yeah. a special thing. Yeah. And, what a special thing. And I remember seeing that the first time I was that that's mine. That's mine. I mean <laughs> and I mean I felt like a kid that wanted to show his mom or dad that he did really well on his test. And I kept mm-hmm. the first one I did that had my name on it because that to me established, you know what, I do have something special to offer, like you were saying earlier. It's not that I have to create something or create a presence of a voice. It's just they like my voice for what it is, and they like my voice for how I'm able to use it for mm-hmm. whatever purpose that they're looking for. So what do you do for them? Well, for them, I've done, it's usually around the holidays. I do their seasonal Christmas kind of push, and they usually, like I said, that's a year-to-year thing. But at the same time, I'm also pounding the pavement and looking at local radio as well and local businesses and also just local television stations because Mm -hmm. they all need it and they're it's i look at it like this you have the same shot like everyone else that has Mm -hmm. been that's been something i shared with will at one point and i share it again with people listening it's that i like i said i auditioned for disney disneyland resort which it's now called Mm. which is still weird to me i still call it disneyland Period. <laughs> I don't call it yeah. Disneyland Resort because it's always been Disneyland. And I had auditioned for the Aladdin show. And I didn't get the part for the L.A. show, but they did want me to come back for a Tokyo audition. And now wow. keep in mind, Disneyland is big. Disney is big. This is not a small thing. Disney is huge. And the line for the audition that day was out the door. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking and I'm saying, you know what? I know there are probably some people in this line that have been here time and time again. They're, I mean, the director knows them. They know the director. Fine. I have the same shot. And the reason why 
I t adapted that is because when I first started in local theater, when I graduated from college, there was a Western Christmas play that was being done out in Covina and didn't know the church, didn't know anything about it. But I said, you know what, I'm going to try it. And they said, the character's name is Clem. I said, okay. Well, I'd like to really kind of help and be part of the Christmas play, sir. So I hope you don't mind if I try to audition for you. <laughs> and that was it. That's all That's all I said. And I got the part. Wow. And, and it was on, it was a, it was a stage production or it, a radio? It, no, it was a stage production. Uh-huh. But then it just took off because every time with that director, he knew that I could fit a part, which... Uh -huh. I mean, I, I mean, I think we can all say this. It's like we usually look at our friends that have a certain skill set in blank. And that was always my frustration. It's like, oh, I want to know how to do that. I want to know how to do that. And then a friend of mine said, but you know what? You know how to just fit into any little spot, no matter what it is. Even if you don't know how to do it, you're willing to learn it and figure it out. And that has served me so well for the past 10 years. Uh, and that's what makes being a voiceover talent fun because... It's because of that realization that I, I try for everything. And yeah, some things I get, sometimes I don't. But you know what? It's fun just to be part of something. Well, and let me just add, you know, we already mentioned, you know, it's who you know partly, but it's also your reputation. It sounds like, you know, you have created a reputation for yourself for being able to do certain things. So people who know you, don't hesitate to recommend you. And just a word to the wise, um, I would like to share with people out there that the internet is huge, but it's still a very small world. And yeah. it's very important that your integrity is intact and your reputation goes before you. When I started, they didn't use a lot of kids. So when somebody needed a kid's voice, I was one of, you know on the top of their list for being able to do that. Nowadays, they use a lot more kids yeah. working than, than there were back then. Or, you know, tastes change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, and not that I don't still do children's voices, but a, a lot of TV shows and stuff, you'll hear cartoons, they'll use actual children. Anyway, the point <laughs> is, your reputation. You know, you, you, you want to know people. You never, ever want to do anything that will tarnish your reputation and that can even be, you know, talking bad about somebody. Absolutely. Or sharing, you know, this world is, there's nothing private. Right. <laughs> I hate to tell you. So, you know, if you are starting to meet people and develop things, you know, it's important that you do your best all the time. And it sounds like Roland has developed a reputation for doing that. And the people who know him know that he can come up with something and they can count on him to be able to do that. Yeah, th and that's a great thing. Yeah, thank you. And it, it's very true because, I mean, I've learned that even in the radio world. Radio is not as big as I thought it was because there are <laughs> people that I've connected with that said, oh, I've also, I know that person. I didn't know you worked there. And it's it's not as big as you think. It's really not, but it's so well, fun to get involved. corporations own the stations. So exactly. So you're all underneath somebody. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So it's important that, you know, th hopefully the cream always rises to the top. 
Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that, you know, um, that it, it's just natural the way that works. People, as you get older, you know more and more people who know more and more people who you know. And, I mean, it, Look at us, you know. I I said, hey, Roland, what do you look like? I went on Facebook and we had two friends in common. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, who we actually knew face to face. Right. Well, you know what sucks about being a voiceover actor, unless you have an agent, and this is what's so great about being Frank Welker, okay? If somebody wants Frank, right. and many people do, they have to pay for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And but there's at some level where they won't in voiceover because nobody sees you and nobody really cares. If you can do the job, it doesn't matter who you are. And it's economics is the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the thing about voiceover, when I made a lot of money back in the eighties, I was making one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. But you had to work all the time. Yeah. You right. Did. And then of course the residuals help if you're doing union work. So working on movies, post production, you get your residuals. That helps too. Obviously. But it's the kind of thing where you're working for yourself independently unless you can start charging more for your services. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's the only way to get a raise unless you work twenty four hours a day. Yeah. And that that goes into another topic we can talk about. It's and I mean, I don't know when that would fall into the show line, but it's about what is a decent rate, because I remember when I first started, I was charging thirty dollars per production. And, and I want to kill you. Yeah, and, exactly. And and my friend Bob Holiday worked. Here, he said, you're doing what? No, he said that is he said that's insulting. He said the lowest you can go is 100. Like, mm. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, though. He said he said. Do you know what you do? You're a producer. You're a producer in the LA market at a radio station. You can do that. It's okay. And I mm-hmm. did, and people would pay it. And I, I was like, I'll be okay. So it does work. But it, <laughs> but it's a very, I mean, like you're saying with Frank or even Bob. Yeah, they're they're going to be paying. And it's, it's always kind of scary that first time when you're putting yourself out there and you're establishing your rates. I had to do the same thing with my stepson with music production that he does from time to time. I said, you can establish a rate. I said, but you have to make it where you're not lowballing yourself. And at the same time, is that you're putting your name behind it. So, so I've been trying to help him with that in the same stride as I'm going through mine. Yeah. So just really quickly, maybe what I was trying to do with this pyramid was, was think about you know, since we were going to try and use Roland as sort of our case study, uh, show, you know, talk about Roland's foundation, the desire, which he already mentioned in, in, in talking about his, how he got interested in voice acting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe talk about how you get a sense for the employment environment. Katie, you just mentioned understanding how much you can charge, you know, uh, before people, before you're substitutable, I guess it, it, it would be a good way to think about it. And then, you know, you're always substitutable. Mm-hmm. Well, you are, but it's relative, right? Because if you're just starting out in your career, you are more substitutable than you are if you're at Frank's level, right? Yeah. Well, mm. yeah. It just depends who's going to hire you. Yeah. Yes. It depends on the production. I mean, to be honest, you guys, I mean, I know Roland knows who, I don't know. You you might as well keep recording this. I am. (laughs) Um, uh, Paul Winchell. Oh. 
Paul mm. Winchell, iconic. Tigger's original voice. Yeah. Paul Winchell, Winchell Mahoney Show. Worked on the gummy bears with me. Oh, yeah. Okay, I mentioned that. Gummy bears. <laughs> he wanted a raise. Disney said, I think we can find somebody who can sound like you. Wow. Yeah. Because Disney never gave raises. They gave SAG raises, whatever SAG required. Oh, Only yeah. worked on one show that ever gave us a raise above what was minimum. That was Muppet Babies because Jim Henson was an extremely generous, wonderful oh, yeah. person. So that happens yeah. a lot. But the Simpsons managed to pull it together. So, you know, it's not to say it can't happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, there is a level. I mean, at some point, somebody will say, that's too much for me, but other people will say, it's worth it. So you want to be where you're at the level where they say, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And you want to understand what, what your worth is, right? Before, yeah. Before you go in and you ask for that, right? You want to. But how do you, you know, how do you figure that out? Nobody's going to, you know. Right. It's great if you have an agent like Frank does to negotiate for him. We don't, if you're doing non-union work, you're on your own and it's a lot more difficult. And that's where I'm kind of learning how to establish that. And part of me, you know, there's hardly anybody who does voiceover who just doesn't want to do it. And like, you know, you just want to. But if you want to make a living, there's a certain, you know. That's why actors have agents. That's why artists have agents because artists just want to do their art and the agents will help figure out how to get you a decent living. Without it, it's a little, it's it's hard. It's something we have to learn mm-hmm. and develop. It's like the saying oh. of a starving artist. I mean, there there are artists that love to do their craft, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a feast or famine. I mean, if you're really dedicated to doing it, yeah, you'll, you'll make it work. I mean, I've made it work in... I mean, I got a full-time job and I do this as it comes. Now, if it were the reverse, if this were my lifeblood, yeah, I'd probably be putting even more time into this. But I am still branching out online and communicating with people to find out ways or learning with people in person, just learning more and acting on it. So it's it's a very, it's, it's, yeah, that's the best way I can describe it. You've really got to be self-motivated. You can't think that, ah, oh, the jobs will come to me. Yeah. 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 Um, although eventually they will. <laughs> right. Eventually. <laughs> but not all of them. Yeah. You just always have to be planting seeds and meet, you know, meeting people and whatever. It's, um, yeah. Starving artists. I don't think they starve because it's their it is kind of their choice, I guess, because they'd rather we'd rather be doing what we do, right? Um, but some people are better business. It is a business, you know. They call it the business of acting. Yeah, right. Showbiz. Mm-hmm. It's a business. It is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe what we can do at this point is for all you listeners out there, you don't get to see the pyramid just yet. We're not going to talk about it on this podcast, but on the very next one. We're going to go, we're going to do some more work on it, and you're going to see the pyramid or the skyscraper or whatever it is that we come up with. And it's going to be, it's going to help sort of frame our discussion in the intent of this podcast. So we, we really look forward to, to sharing that with you guys uh, in the future. And we should think of it as the bricks of the pyramid. What builds a complete and whole pyramid, not just getting to the top? 
Because yeah. you pull one out, it's like... It all falls apart. Jingo, jingo, jinga, winga, that game. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Voiceover brought to you by Jenga. <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave home without it. I know. I know. <laughs> no, that should be our sponsor. We should get them to sponsor this show. Oh, gosh. Don't talk about sponsors. <laughs> Don't bring up the word sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that does it for our second installment of the Punch and Roll podcast. I'm Will Lewis. Thank you for joining us. Next time, we're going to talk about the voiceover demos. So look forward to uh, hearing Katie and Roland's insight on that. So thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Original music by Ben Sullivan, available on iTunes.